0: Hello, Chadville. It's Tuesday. It's 2.06. Hope you're having a fantastic day. A beautiful, mild, sunny day out there, but a little windy. Hold on to your hats. Did that uh, wake you up overnight last night? I know I ended up on the couch downstairs at about two in the morning. Couldn't get back to sleep because of the, uh, the sound of the wind. Um... It is Tuesday. Andrew's away. You know, he's in Vegas. He'll be back on Monday. We have lots of stories to get to today and a number of interviews as well. Um, have you seen this video out of Calgary, the the um, the racist tirade that happened at a Calgary superstore? Um, well, we're going to take a look at that. We're going to take a listen to that and then... Get some uh, perspective from someone who has gone through something very similar right here in Edmonton. And in fact, he's moving towards uh, a big summit coming up in the new year. Make it awkward, a diversity, a cultural summit about spreading peace and love. So we'll talk to Jesse Lipscomb at the uh, 330 point at three o'clock today. This Bitcoin story, if you have been following this at all? Remember the first time we talked about Bitcoin on this show? I think it was worth barely anything. And now as of, I think I just checked about 10 minutes ago, uh, one Bitcoin equals just over 15000 Canadian dollars. It has just been on a ride for the past year. Just... Uh, <sighs> Yesterday, there was a story about two new Bitcoin uh, billionaires that were, was making headlines everywhere. So I'm going to talk to Mike Brown, who's the director of innovation with ATB's financial transformation team at 3 o'clock, about Bitcoin, what it is, and, and how it's going to make uh, traditional... Banking uh, ADAPT. So we'll do that at uh, 3 o'clock, 2.30. want to talk with our our friends over at Wildlife Ed. Probably you know them from before as the Wildlife Rehabilitation Society. They are taking in about 20 to 30% more animals a year. And of course, guess what? The money isn't there. So uh, we'll talk with uh, Carly Stenhouse. But right now, I am fascinated by this story from the first time I talked to our next guest. And I think it was a couple of years ago at this point so we're going to start the show this afternoon with an update on a study from the university of alberta hospital it involves treating a painful sometimes fatal infection of the gut with fecal transplants yep you heard that right a fecal transplant taken in the form of pills dr dina gow is the gastroenterologist who led the study she joins us now doctor welcome back to the show Oh, hi. <laughs> it's great. I think it was it was right when you started this study that I think we last talked. Was that a couple yes, of years ago now?
1: It was quite a number of years ago, I think. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, we're glad to have you back on. I've been fascinated. I was fascinated then, and I'm still fascinated. But can you start at the beginning? The infection that you wanted to find a better way to treat is uh, C. difficile. Is that how you say it?
1: Yeah, it's called Clostridium difficile infection or C. diff in short because it's such a long word to say. Um, so this is an infection usually happens in the context of having taking antibiotics for some other infection such as a bladder infection or a pneumonia or whatever it is. And so the collateral damage is that these antibiotics no matter what we're trying to treat it, it will cause um, it, it will kill a lot of the good bacteria in our gut and that's a collateral damage. And So when you don't have those good bacteria in your gut then you're vulnerable and that's when the seed of infection can really come in because it really is an opportunistic infection okay in a healthy individual if your gut has healthy bacteria then there is essentially no chance you're going to get this infection
0: But as you mentioned, if you're taking medication or an antibiotic to kill uh, a bug of some other sort, it can kill those good bugs in in your belly. And I think oftentimes we forget about those and all the hard work that they're doing in there and how
1: important they are. Yes, exactly. That's why I keep telling patients that we don't give enough credit to the healthy gut bacteria because they perform so many functions for us.
0: So the the infection, the C difficile, when it um, takes hold, I understand it can it can be very difficult to treat. Can you give us an idea of how bad it is? Man, I was reading some of the um, the case studies and just people who were so incredibly sick from this.
1: Oh yes, sometimes this condition can be fatal, as you mentioned. About five percent of people can actually die from this infection, and so if it's really bad, what can happen is that people have a lot of pain. Their belly becomes really distended they have diarrhea it's just say like it doesn't want to stop mm-hmm. and their white blood cell can really climb really really high their kidney function can really can their kidneys can really shut down wow. and so in that situation that's the worst case scenario without an operation to remove the large intestine that person can really die Oof. and yeah so in most cases fortunately we're dealing with mild to milder or mild to moderate form of the infection where patients would have diarrhea they may have some belly pain, Um, and for the most part, we can treat with another antibiotic. It's called fragile or Vancomycin, and so that would get the infection under control. But in the process of these antibiotics, we are killing more good bacteria. And so that's really ironic because then in that situation we wipe out more good bacteria, and then for some individuals it's not just a one-time infection. Once you finish your antibiotic, you're okay for a while, and then you can come back.
0: Hmm, and okay. So for some
1: patients, it becomes a vicious cycle. When you go on the fluoro or the vancomycin, you're okay, but when you stop, it comes back. And the reason is because you don't have those good bacteria around mm-hmm. to protect you, because that's really your best weapon. Again, C-diff is a good bacteria.
0: Dr. Gao, how many, how many people, how, how, how common is C-diff? It is
1: very common. Yeah. In fact, Edmonton is a hotbed for c oh, no. infection. Yes, we have the highest incidence in the province, and the University of Alberta has the highest incidence of C-diff infection when patients come into the hospital.
0: Why why would we have the highest? Are we just
1: prescribing too many antibiotics? We're not entirely sure why Edmonton has the highest rate. And usually this infection happens because people have been taking antibiotics. And yes, you're right, perhaps because we're taking too many courses of antibiotics. Maybe that's the reason, but it's, again, we don't know for okay. sure.
0: That's interesting Yeah,
1: so for these patients where the infection is just not at one time, but it keeps coming back, yeah. there is really no better option for these patients. And obviously you don't want them to be on antibiotics forever.
0: No, no, no.
1: Yeah, and that's where that's really where fecal transplant
0: comes. Okay, in. and because you know, I was reading the story of one woman, I think she's had 20 bouts of diarrhea in 24 hours, and I mean, anyone who's gone through that, and most of us have gone through having bouts of diarrhea. I can't imagine 20 bouts in a day like that oh, would be exhausting and painful. Horrendous.
1: Yes, it's absolutely horrendous. Most patients, when they get to that situation where it's not just a one-time infection but it keeps coming yeah. back, when they come to see me, they—they, they, it's not just the gut that's affecting that's affected. They—they they have no energy. They just don't feel well. They have no appetite. They lost a lot of weight. It's a systemic disease. It affects your whole body.
0: So, Dr. Gao, you're sitting around at a table one day and say, you know what I think would would help with this is a fecal transplant.
1: (laughs) uh, Honestly, I didn't come up with this idea. This actually has been in practice uh, since the 4th century in China. really? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Okay, then the pills then. (laughs) Back when there was no antibiotics, no other therapy available. Okay. And, yeah, so actually in the modern history, I think it first started in about 1950s when people sort of when they just didn't know what else to do with certain infection and they they decided, okay, maybe this is the way to do it. And they miraculously cured patients who have C. diff infection, but at the time they didn't know it was C. diff because C. diff was a very difficult bacteria to grow in a culture medium. And so they just knew it was a bad infection, but they didn't know it was C. diff. And they used fecal transplant to treat that condition. And And so it it was just... (laughs) Just serendipity,
0: (laughs) and you know, of course, uh, and yeah, we we chuckle about it. And you know, I know we've talked about this before. That that ick factor comes in because people think, oh my gosh, a fecal transplant, what does that mean, and how does how does that work? You know, how's it done? Maybe you can explain uh, how that works.
1: Yeah, and so basically, what we do is because there are so many healthy gut bacteria in our gut that we simply do not have the capacity to grow. We don't really know who they are or whether do or what do they need in terms of um, growth requirement and that's why we have to resort to this so the seemingly backward uh, methods and uh, it's almost a, a blood transfusion we cannot manufacture blood and that's why we need blood donors and so when it comes to the healthy gut bacteria that we cannot grow in the lab we have to go to the source We go to a healthy individual and essentially try to harvest the good bacteria in their gut. (laughs) So we have a pool of healthy stool donors, almost like the blood donors. Okay. Somehow, stool donors just don't really sound as noble <laughs> as blood donors. <laughs> All joking aside, yes. it's very serious. It is. <laughs> yeah, so we have these pool of stool donors within our program, and we take it very seriously. They, they undergo screening process, and we, do, we repeat a screening process every four months to make sure they're still healthy, their blood is, is, is okay, there's no infectious agents that can make another person sick. And so then what they do is that they bring in a donation, basically a stool, and then we process in the lab where we essentially filter out all the large undigested particles. So we we are left with a liquid uh, slurry, so to speak, and that essentially is just a liquid with all the good bacteria in there. Okay. And so it's put into pill form? Yeah. So then what we do with this liquid is that we spin it down with a very high speed centrifuge. And so it's spinning at like 10,000 gravity. Um, And we essentially precipitate out the bacteria so Mm -hmm. it becomes like a jelly, uh, peanut jelly consistency. Okay. And then we pipette it into the individual capsules on dry ice. Hmm. we We put them in the freezer at minus 80. And then when a patient needs the pills, then we take it out of the freezer.
0: Okay. And then it's, and I've read in in some cases, you know, the first dose is making big differences.
1: Oh, yes. And the, the difference can, it is somewhat uh, individualized. I have seen patients where they tell me that the first day after the transplant, they go home, they take a nap, and then when they up, when they wake up, they, they feel different. They feel this surge of energy. It's almost like the light switch has turned on again.
0: So I'm guessing that the new part of this is the is the pills because if I remember correctly, that the fecal transplants were done before through a colonoscopy. Is that correct? We
1: used to do it by colonoscopy just because in the literature, was. Has been reported is that uh, with colonoscopy, it seems to have the highest success rate. With just single treatment, we're getting at about 90% success rate. Uh, there are other ways to do it. Sometimes you can also insert a feeding tube into your intestine okay. and then give it that way through the nose. Uh, but the success rate is about 80, 70, 80%. And so, um, just because of the success rate is the highest so far by colonoscopy and that's why traditionally we have been doing it that way <laughs> but then we we also have our theories because um, dr. Tom Louie in Calgary mm-hmm. is actually the, the first person in the world who came up with this idea of the poop pills <laughs> so to speak and um, we have seen in the literature there was a, a small report where they had 20 patients and they gave them 15 pills a day for two days and their success rate was only 70 <laughs> percent and so we kind of thought well maybe the pills are they're just not giving the right dose and so we our our theory is that if we are starting out with the same dose of donor stool, so to speak, then we probably should see very similar success rate. And that's sort of the background of this study is that because we still don't know what is the best way to give this treatment? What is the safest way? What's the the most efficient way, the the cheapest way Uh in terms of uh, to our healthcare system? And if a patient has any preference Because I think we should also look at a patient perspective as well.
0: Mm -hmm. But these pills are having, um, what was it, I I was reading, what, 96% success rate in some cases?
1: Yes, 96%.
0: Which is, that's that's fantastic.
1: It is fantastic. <laughs> We're so pleased with the results of the study.
0: So what happens now with the results of this um, and moving forward? And we know so then, you know, a couple of things. We know the benefit to the patient, you know, after this recurring infection of C. diff and, you know, the pain and everything that they're going through, there's the possibility that within a couple of treatments, a couple of rounds of, of these um, poop pills, let's call them, um, they're going to be feeling much, much better. But is there an impact on the on the health system as well Dr. Gao? Well we think so
1: just because if we can do the treatment uh, by pills then it becomes an office-based treatment. Patient doesn't need to go to the hospital anymore. Right. So, mm-hmm. uh, and plus, and there is the, we don't we don't need to worry about the potential risks associated with the colonoscopy. Uh, one of which is a tear in the bowel or yeah. a perforation. And plus, and uh, a patient doesn't need to have the family to come to mm-hmm. take time off work to come to escort them to the hospital for the procedure. And so, overall, I think it's just a better way to administer the treatment. And plus, in our study, we also uh, looked at patient preference, and it appeared the that patients definitely have a preference for the
0: pill form. Well, yeah, a pill form <laughs> over a colonoscopy. I mean, yeah. you know, colonoscopies are it invasive. F- yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you've yeah. had one, you know what, what I'm talking about. It can be, uh, yeah it's just awkward and can be uncomfortable and uh, but wow okay so um and again so from here we just know that this is what it is we have uh we have another option and going to continue to to use this and provide it as an option moving forward dr Gao.
1: yeah i think moving forward definitely in patients who have mild to moderate form of the infection when it's not just the one episode but recurring mm-hmm. then definitely I think the way to go moving forward is to offer this treatment in pill form and so we are working very hard with Alberta Health Services trying to see how we can best implement this as a provincial program so there's a lot of work being done on that front um, and uh, we also have to try to move the the manufacturing process from a research lab into an accredited lab yes. and so again that's another big jump and there's again a lot of work that's required to go into that
0: (laughs) Well, you know what, congratulations for for you and and the entire team that's been working on this again. I've been following it for the past couple of years, fascinated by it and uh, I thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to give
1: us an update, Dr. Gao. Thank you for this invitation. I just really want to thank all the patients um, for participating in the study and all the patients who have been in our program and I just uh, cannot say thank you enough because you know what, this has absolutely been the most rewarding thing I've done in my professional career to see the changes to the before and after the transplant and the quality of life, um, the changes in the quality of life, that is the most uh, amazing thing.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Okay, it's Dr. Dina Gao. She's a gastroenterologist at the University of Alberta. And I know you're texting and saying, come on, Jay, I'm eating my lunch, all that sort of stuff. But isn't it fascinating at the end of it when, you, when you're when you talking about, you know, that healthy gut bacteria? And, and maybe you don't care. Hey, you know what? I I have a form of colitis, so I have to deal with, um, you know, stuff like this on a, on, a, on a regular basis. And there's a lot of folks out there who have gone through this type of of infection, the C. diff infection, and in in, in the ones that continue on. Again, I'm always um, just amazed at the big brains out there who can come up with stuff like this. You know, the first transplants like this go back to the fourth century. Don't want to know how they did it that way, but you can do it in a pill form at a 96% success rate, and that's been uh, studied and found out right here at the University of Alberta. Tip of the hat to the folks over there. Two twenty-six on the six thirty Ched afternoon news. Thanks for joining us this afternoon, and thanks to Dr. Dina Gal, as a gastroenterologist over at the University of Alberta Hospital. And I knew that some of you would probably be, you know, on me this afternoon for maybe starting off the show with, uh, you know, an interview about poop pills and fecal transplants. Um, but I think uh, what they're doing over there and and uh, finding. Uh, alternate um, therapies instead of more and more antibiotics because you know with this c diff if you've ever had it or if you know someone who has i mean sometimes uh, that first round of antibiotics will clean things up nice but oftentimes or sometimes it, it doesn't and then you have these recurring episodes uh, from the infection and uh, as dr Gao said in some cases it excuse me, it can lead to death, um, but very, very painful, you know, bloating and, and painful diarrhea and some bouts up to, you know, 20, in, 20 bouts of diarrhea in, in 24 hours. So I think this is, I think this is neat. It's neat. I don't know how one becomes um, a donor. I know some people who probably could supply a lot as a matter of fact. Uh, some of your texts coming in uh, this afternoon. Uh, interesting interview. Interesting. Thank you very much. Um, someone says, uh, "Al says uh, on a humorous note, monkeys seem to really like to donate stool samples. Maybe they know something." Interesting segment. Monkeys are strange, aren't they? I love I love monkeys. I've got a friend of mine who absolutely hates monkey monkeys, and so I always send pictures to her, and she just gets mad at me. She just thinks they're they're creepy little critters. I think they're. Um, I think they're cute, uh, but yeah, they're, they're, they're going to be dirty uh, little animals. Listen, listen to this text that just came in. Wow, this would have saved my mom's life. Interesting. Uh, are these poop pills prov- uh, proving to be successful with uh, UC or Crohn's? I'm sorry, didn't ask that question. I don't have the answer for you. Um, <laughs> I always said uh, a good one will make you feel better. Now I have uh, proof. And someone says, come on, I'm trying to eat lunch. This is Gross? Gross? But you know what? Fascinating, fascinating. And uh, if you're ever in the position of being sick with that infection, and I know someone right now who um, is dealing with this infection, not me, but someone in my life who is dealing with this infection right now and uh, has been on courses of antibiotics, antibiotics. And, um, you know, it's nice to know that there's another option if, uh, if need be, don't you think? 2.30, we'll switch things up after the 2.30 news with Eileen Bell. We'll talk about um, Edmonton wildlife right after this. A message from 6.30 Ched. Engaging conversation with Jalen Nye and Andrew Gross. Breaking news with Eileen Bell and sports with Morley Scott. This is the Afternoon News on 630 Chet, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. 2.35 on the 6.30 Chad Afternoon News. You can get a hold of me anytime at 6.30 6.30. The phone number here is 496-0063. Now, my first introduction to this next organization was when I found a small owl on my back porch probably about 2007 when I was living in Twilliger Town. Not knowing what to do, I started Googling the Edmonton Wildlife Rehabilitation something, you know, just help me Wildlife Rehabilitation and I found them. It's now known though as Wild, North. Ed, Wild North, <laughs> and I had that written down. Wild North, it's the only full scope rehabilitation center in northern Alberta, um, and and it's busy. It's busy taking in about twenty percent more animals, and the center is struggling to pay the bills. Joining me in studio is Carly Stenhouse, the manager of Wild. North Wild Ed. Okay, now you've got me confused because I actually <laughs> had Wild Ed and a then Wild program North. That's
2: part of Wild there North.
0: Organization. <laughs> I had it all written down. I'm right, not that but important. I'm cu- now I'm questioning myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know what? Um, and I was just started to tell you this. So, yeah, I'd opened the door one night in the wintertime and there was a little. A little brown owl, probably the size of a small football, no. back there, and I had two bird dogs at the time—a Chesapeake Bay Retriever and a Brittany Spaniel—so they're not going out the back door. <laughs> and I kept checking on it throughout the uh, throughout the evening. It was still there, but I thought, okay, I had read that you know when 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 birds are stunned, yeah, just get them, put them in the safe spot, and let them go. But by morning it was still there and it had fl- face planted at this point. Aww. So what I had done, I had read and we, we bundled it all up yeah. in a box and took it over to, where was it, over 127th? Yeah, yeah off that's the where the still are. Yeah, and uh, it was great you guys, you know, took the little dude in and took good care of him. Unfortunately he had some massive head trauma, either Aww. smacked too hard into uh, the window or right. they think he might have got hit by a car. Oh, okay. Um, but it was a really, really good experience, and it, and it was nice to know that you were there yeah. um, for these animals, because I was devastated <laughs> by this little guy yeah. and, and learning about it. And you guys did let me know uh, what happened to him afterwards. So the history, though, of of uh, the group, I mean, how long has it been around for?
2: We began in our Director of Wildlife Services shed, basically, uh-huh. in 1989. Oh, wow. Yeah, so so it's, it's been quite a while. It's been a while. We've grown and grown since then, and now we have two facilities instead of just shed. <laughs> yeah, so where are the facilities? So our wildlife hospital, which is basically like our emergency room, that's yep. where we want to get the animals in right away, that's in Edmonton, just north of Yellowhead Trail on 128th Street. Okay. So I can give the full address. It's 12515 128th Street. Okay. And then our rehabilitation center is out in the country on Nature Conservancy of Canada land, just by Spruce Grove.
0: Okay, out by Spruce Grove. So w- what happens when someone sees something? What, what should we do if it's a... If it's an owl. If it's a beaver or a skunk, I, I don't know. What animals are you taking in? What And what should we do when we see an injured animal?
2: So we take in every species of wild bird that can be found here in Alberta. So any wild bird from a little hummingbird to a golden eagle and anything in between. Um, and for mammals, we take care of mostly the smaller mammals. So things okay. like beavers, porcupines, muskrats, jackrabbits, bats, baby skunks. We can take baby deer and baby moose, so all of those smaller mammals, but nothing like an adult deer um, or like a cougar or something okay. like that. Yeah. And if you find one that you're about the best thing to do is to call us on our wildlife hotline. So our wildlife hotline is answered um, we answer phone calls every single day of the year. So far this year I think we've gone over like 8500 phone calls wow. just since the beginning of January.
0: What's the number Carly? So
2: it's 780-914-4118. Okay. We're often not able to answer live because we're already talking to someone yeah. or dealing with someone who's come in with an animal or dealing with the animals in the back. But if you leave a message, we'll call you back as soon as possible and give you all the advice you need about your specific situation. How busy are you right now? We're really busy. Like, we're, it's quite significant this year. We're probably going to take in another or an extra 500 animals compared to last year. Why do you think that is? Partly, I think it's just because more people know that we exist, so they know that there is an option for these wild animals. A lot of the time, people just might not necessarily realize Mm -hmm. that there's a place that can take them in, so they just say, just, oh, let nature take its course, and then they just leave it be. But now we're kind of more in the public eye, so people know that there is somewhere that they can take these animals. And
0: I guess it's got to be a a bit of a balancing act, well i don't say balancing act is not the right word but for those folks who say yeah hey, you know what nature will take its course it's a uh, little there are those bit people who believe that that that's yeah, just definitely. nature and that's the way it should be and
2: we wouldn't want to like interrupt any natural processes like if you see i don't know a predator that's going through its like natural day it mm-hmm. has to hunt it has to eat we don't want to stop that and stop predators from being predators but 95% of the animals that we're getting in are coming in because of something that has to do with people not necessarily someone like hurting an animal on purpose but just some sort of Accident that happens because we're sharing our spaces, so them like flying into windows or getting caught by someone's pet cat or getting hit <laughs> by cars or something like that. Yeah,
0: would would uh, birds be the majority of what you're about? Eighty percent
2: are birds, and that's partly because we have so many here, and partly because yeah. we could take every single species.
0: And it's it's quite un- I, unreal. I think I remember when I was in there one time when I w- went in to see it, yeah. and there was a big beautiful owl in there, and uh, yeah. So how? How do you handle and how do you know what to do with all of these different creatures that are coming in?
2: We we are trained, so many of our staff have like wildlife rehab certification, um, but a lot of it is just learning about how to deal with each particular species. We deal with over 150 different species wow. throughout the year, so you need to kind of know about every single one and how to handle them properly and what to do with them and stuff, so there's a lot of learning involved. I guess so. Um, some of them, if you had any... Are some of them tougher
0: to deal with than others?
2: Yes. Um, we have a number of very, very feisty owls right yeah. now. Um, we actually, over the last couple of weeks, we've taken in, I think, maybe 13 or 14 different owls. And they're all, I mean, they all have issues, obviously. That's why they're in care. But they're all very, very feisty. So it's it's nice to see, but it's a little bit harder and to And it's handle.
0: been interesting. The owls have been really in the news lately. And we talked about it last week on this show. And then there was another story out today about the number of owl mm-hmm. attacks on small animals. Yes in the city, in the region recently. Have yeah. you been
2: tracking that as yeah, well? Yeah, definitely. We've seen we've seen the news stories, and we've had a couple people call our hotline about it too. Um, it's really tough because, I mean, owls are predators. Yeah. So if they see a little creature, then that's their instincts, right? They're going to go hunting. So it's really important if you have small pets and stuff to keep an eye on them and to be outside with them when they're out there because we do, we share our spaces with wildlife. They're around, and and they're, you can't really prevent that from and happening. And I think that's
0: one of the things, and, and maybe it's possibly one of the reasons why you're busier than ever before, and you talk about sharing spaces. Mm-hmm. I know where where I live. When I first moved out there seven years ago, it was just big fields and right. farmland. Now I've got new subdivisions pushing all the way down. Yeah. So, so the coyotes, the deer, the birds, all of that. Um, there, are, it's 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 learning how to manage the land and share the land. And exactly. I'm not sure we're doing it so well.
2: Yeah, and they need to. I mean, they need to figure out how to live in this new environment that we're providing for them. So it's it's a learning experience for them as well.
0: <laughs> so lots of birds coming in. Um, I know here at the station, and I'm going to ask a couple of questions about what what should be done sure. in certain cases. Um, at the station last year, and because I had dealt with the barn, You're I, an expert. barn owl, no I wasn't an expert, but I had an idea, <laughs> I I'd read some, and then this past summer I had a bird hit the window at the okay. house, so I looked it up again just mm-hmm. to make sure. Um, recent, uh, uh, the, uh, the summer on the patio, My co-host, who's not here today, went out and there's a bird out there and it's kind of like... Little dazed. Right, little dazed. And I said, no, I said, just put it uh, over. So make sure that it's kind of standing or the head, the proper position. Yeah. And if you can put it into a safe space and let it be. Is that is that I I think people
2: want to help much more than that but the advice that we give people for window strikes is if you can capture the animal bird I guess because it would be flying into a window you capture the bird and put it in a warm dark quiet place just in a box somewhere and just leave it alone for an hour sometimes they just need that time with nothing for their brains to have to really process to be able to kind of just shake it off and then they're good to go and usually if they don't fly off after about that hour then we want to get them in at our our center give them an x-ray see if they have head trauma or something like that okay
0: so it is so that would be the time frame though I've been lucky enough that yeah. you know they've flown off you know in, in time less than that but there's a couple times it's been like a half an hour 40 minutes and yeah. it, it becomes
2: quite worrisome. Yeah exactly and you you want to like be checking in <laughs> on it and making sure it's okay and be like oh it's fine little guy you know yeah. but they view us as a predator so that's why we want to make sure that they're just left alone pretty much yeah. for that hour because our presence is not comforting to them.
0: <laughs> so Carly Stenhouse joining us a uh, wild ed manager and we appreciate her coming in and, and we're going to get to a couple of uh, special events that you have uh, coming up shortly. The owls, you said you have a bunch of owls in right yeah. now. What What are the owls in for? Have they all hit?
2: different reasons. So we have a snowy owl that came in a couple of weeks ago, and she had actually flown through a flare. So oh. when I did the intake exam on her, it was really obvious that all of her feathers, most of her flight feathers, had been burnt off. They oh were all singed, and all of her body feathers were singed, too. Um, so that's one situation we're dealing with. We have another one um, where someone for sure saw it get hit by a car, hmm. another owl. Um, we have another one in that was just, like, grounded and starving for some reason and so they're all coming from different situations. So what happens how do you know when to re-release them into the wild? Well kind of depends on the situation I guess like if they have a fracture we want to uh-huh. make sure that that's all healed properly and we need to do flight testing and stuff to make sure that they um, can actually get the height and, and strength and stuff flying that they need. Um, with the bird that the snowy owl with the the singed feathers we actually have to make sure that she has all of her oh, feathers back, back. so yeah. she might be with us for well over a year wow. until that happens. Um, we you you have a cool job, Carly. It's very interesting. <laughs> and it's it's different every single day. Absolutely. It's yeah. got to be a little heartbreaking at times, yeah, too. Yeah, it's tough. We see some really rough situations sometimes, but we know that we're, we're able to, to help out in whatever way we can.
0: So you said about 80% are, um, are, are birds yeah. and about 20% mammals. What do you think that um, is probably the biggest mis- misconception about what to do with a mammal when we find it? And I, I know every, I think it's every spring, um, we get warnings about... Rabbits yes. And that sort of thing. <laughs> you know, what would be the number one? There's ones the there? really
2: kind of well-intentioned widespread mm-hmm. myth that if you touch a baby mammal, the mom's gonna abandon it right away. So sometimes people are in situations where they might have to maybe move a baby hair from like behind the tire of their vehicle to their yard. They're like, oh no, I touched it. Now the mom's never gonna take care of it anymore, so we need to take it in. But that is a myth for all the, the wild animals that live it here in Alberta. It is a myth. Yeah. I mean, it's good because it's preventing people from just going out and touching yeah, the baby yeah. wildlife all the time, but it's also causing kind of false rescues mm-hmm. when they don't need to happen. So for example, with those baby hairs, that's one call we deal with all the time In the spring and summertime, baby hares are left alone in a field all day long by their mom, and it's the exact opposite of what we think should be happening with a baby animal. So you find this adorable little creature alone, not in a nest, not with any siblings, no parents in sight, and you want to make sure it's okay. So people take them in, and they kidnap them technically um, when they don't need to be taken (laughs) in, and that's it's totally normal for them to be all by themselves. But it's just not really what people think should happen. So we get those guys in all the time.
0: What about um, you know the baby yeah like fawns, uh, baby deer, or I wouldn't know what to do if i came across a a porcupine yeah. or something like that <laughs> do you mean, get that is those i like, yeah
2: we do we do every once in a while we i think we raised maybe Three baby porcupines this summer, and we get adult in um, all the time. But with that's why our hotline exists, really, because there's so many different types of situations and different types of wild animals that you could be interacting with or, or being concerned mm-hmm. about. So we can give you the advice specific to that. Um, so we get yeah, we get porcupines, we get phone calls about baby deer and stuff like that all the time. <laughs> you guys are doing uh, important work that nobody Thank else you. is
0: is doing, um, and I know. Actually, you know what? We need to take a break here, but I wanted because I think some people like. Okay, who do I call? Do I call you? Do I call Fish and Wildlife? Right. Let's talk about that and and about uh, a way that people can step up and support. Right after this. on the 6.30 Chet Afternoon News. Joined this afternoon by Carly Stenhouse. She's the manager of Wild Ed. Now, what's the difference between Wild Ed and Wild North? So
2: Wild Ed is one of the programs within Wild North. Wild North is the organization and we have Wild Rescue, Wild Care, and Wild Ed. So Ed is the education portion. I was just
0: talking to you off air and asking what was the most unique animal you've ever treated there.
2: So we take in, usually every year we get maybe one new species. So this year the new species was the Virginia Rail. Mm -hmm. So any bird nerds out there might be excited about that. (laughs) Um, But everyone else is probably like, what is that? Yeah, <laughs> Bats? Uh, we get bats. Yeah, we're overwintering, I think, two or three big brown bats right really? now. Yeah. So we get them every year as well. We get peregrine falcons. We're taking care of a peregrine falcon right now that you can sponsor on our website. We have... I think I um, just read today that they're finally off the endangered list, yeah, too, in Alberta, amazing. which is great. So that's that's probably going to happen pretty soon, which is so great. It's such a good story. I
0: remember being back in Thunder Bay, and when they started to release them to try to get the mating pairs again yeah. out at uh, Sleeping Giant Provincial Park, it was quite... That's the. So so cool. It was quite the story. Yeah. Okay, so um, I, I had mentioned that I think some people are confused. Do we call you? Do we call Fish and Wildlife? When do we... What's
2: fi- So Fish and Wildlife, they wouldn't do any of the medical care okay. for animals. So if it's an animal that actually needs assistance, if it actually needs rehabilitation, then if you're north of Red Deer all the way up into northern Alberta, we're the center that you would call.
0: Okay, Alrighty. Um, and again, we mentioned you guys have been taking in 20% more animals. Uh, that means, as always, costs yeah. are going up and... Uh, this, there's some challenges funding right now, Definitely, isn't there? yeah.
2: We're probably expecting to spend an extra $50,000 this wow. year compared to last year. So we're really trying to get some extra money and just to pay for those 500-plus extra patients that we've yeah. taken care of. And I think you do get a bit of
0: money from the province, don't you?
2: If we get it through grants, then yes. we get money from the province. We do get money from the city.
0: Okay, from the city. Yeah. All righty. So, um, but you, fundraising is a big yeah, part of Yeah, we're very your... much donor-supported. Um, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so I know there's an event... Uh, You have a sponsor and animal program uh, on this month. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, so we just uh, started rolling it out. Basically, you can go on our website and there's a few different patients up on there and then you can choose to sponsor their care. What kind of patients? So right now we've got a peregrine falcon, a barred owl, a northern saw wet owl, um, a bushy-tailed wood rat. Uh, which sounds like a fake wo- animal. What is a bushy-tailed wood rat? It's a little rodent that's normally found in the mountains. Okay. Um, what else do we have on there? I think we have a ruddy duck on there as well. Okay. So you, you can do a, ra- a raptor sponsorship, a waterfowl sponsorship, or a songbird so- sponsorship. And we also have featured patient sponsorship. So you okay. could sponsor the badger, the baby mm-hmm. badger that we raised this year. I guess she's an adult now. Um, we have a group of owls that were overwintering, so you could choose to sponsor them too. And it's it's a really great gift idea.
0: Now, did I read that there's a matching portion of this well Right as now. Well?
2: Yes, so really, really generously, Finn McCool's City Centre downtown is going to match any donation made to Wild North throughout the month of December up to $10,000, which is amazing. That is
0: really, really great. Thank you to the gang at uh, Finn McCool's. So thank you for the work that you're doing because I know that you're very busy and then, you know, some of us who get lost in the backyard with a uh, with a barn owl <laughs> or whatever it was not knowing what to do we've turned to you and it's it's good to know that you're there again that hotline is 780-914-4118 the website wildnorth.ca nice and simple mm-hmm. wildnorth.ca lots of information on there as well thank you so much for joining no problem, us carly thanks for
2: having me the six thirty chad afternoon news with jaylyn nye
0: and andrew gross weekdays at 2 on six thirty chad